Chapter Five of *The Hound from the North* by Ridgewell Cullum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lisa Reichert. Chapter Five: The Return of the Prodigal. Grace strode away from the house in no very amiable frame of mind. A fenced-in patch planted with blue gums and a mass of low-growing shrubs formed a sort of garden in the front of the farm. This enclosure was devoid of all artistic effect, but in summertime it served as a screen to break the rigour of the wooden farm buildings. It was a practical but incongruous piece of man's handiwork, divided down the centre by a pathway bordered with overlapping hoopings of bent red willow switches, which, even in winter, protruded hideously above the beaten snow. The path led to a front gate of primitive and bald manufacture, but stout and serviceable, as was everything else about the farm and this was the main approach to the house. It was necessary for Gray, having taken his departure by the front door, to pass out through this gate in order to reach the barn where he had left his saddle-horse. He might have saved himself this trouble by leaving the house by the back door, which opened out directly opposite the entrance to the great barn, but he was in no mood for back doors. The condition of his mind demanded nothing less than a dignified exit, and a dignified exit is never compatible with a back door. Had he left Loondike Farm in an amiable frame of mind, much that was to happen in his immediate future might have been different. But the writing had been set forth, and there was no altering it. He walked with a great show of unnecessary energy. It was his nature to do so. His energy was almost painful to behold. Too much vigour and energy is almost worse than chronic indolence. Sooner or later people so afflicted find themselves in difficulties. It was more than a year since his misadventure in the mountains. He had suffered for his own wrong-headedness over that matter, but he had not profited by his experience. He was incapable of doing so. His length of service and reputation for hard work had saved him from dismissal, but Chillingwood was less fortunate. Subordinates in government service generally are less fortunate when their superiors blunder. However, Gray had outlived that unpleasantness. He was not the man to brood over disaster. Soon after he had been transferred to Ainsley, the town clerkship fell vacant. He did what he could for Chillingwood, with the result that the younger man eventually secured the post, and thus found himself enjoying a bare existence on an income of five hundred dollars per annum. Halfway down the path Gray became aware of a horseman approaching the farm. The figure was moving along slowly over the trail from Ainsley. In the dusk the horse appeared to be jaded, its head hung down, and its gait was ambling. The stranger was tall, but beyond that Gray could see nothing, for the face was almost entirely hidden in the depths of the storm-collar of his coat. The officer looked hard at the newcomer. It was part of his work to know, at least by sight, every inhabitant of his district. This man was quite a stranger to him. The horse was unknown to him, and the fur coat was unfamiliar. In winter these things usually mark a man out to his acquaintances. The horse shows up against the snow, and the prairie man does not usually possess two fur coats. On the stranger's first appearance Gray's thoughts had at once flown to George Iredale, but now, as he realized that the man was unknown to him, his interest relaxed. However, he walked slowly on to the gates that he might obtain a closer inspection. Horse and rider were about twenty-five yards off when Gray reached the gate, and he saw that they were followed at some distance by a great wolfish-looking hound. The evening shadows had grown rapidly. 
the grey vault of snow-clouds above made the twilight much darker than usual grey waited the traveller silently drew up his horse and for a moment sat gazing at the figure by the gate all that was visible of his face was the suggestion of a nose and a pair of large dark eyes grey opened the gate and passed out evening said the horseman in a voice muffled by the fur of his coat-collar good evening replied grey shortly loon dyke farm said the stranger in a tone less of inquiry than of making a statement grey nodded and turned to move away then he seemed to hesitate and turned again to the stranger those eyes where had he seen just such a pair of eyes before he tried to think but somehow his memory failed him the horseman had turned his face towards the house and so the great roving eyes were hidden but grey was too intent upon the business he had in hand to devote much thought to anything else there was no further reason for remaining he had satisfied his curiosity he would learn all about the stranger later on he hurried round to the stables when he had gone the stranger dismounted for a moment or two he stood with one hand on the gate and the other holding the horse's reins gazing after the retreating form of the customs officer he waited until the other had disappeared then leisurely hitching his horse's reins on to the fence of the enclosure and passing in through the gate approached the house presently he saw grey ride away and a close observer might have detected the sound of a heavy sigh escaping from between the embracing folds of the fur collar as the man walked up the path and rapped loudly upon the front door with his mitted fist the three-footed hound had closed up on his master and now stood beside him prudence opened the door tea was just ready and she answered the summons half expecting to find that her lover had thought better of his ill-humour and had returned to share the evening meal she drew back well within the house when she realized her mistake the stranger stood for one second as though in doubt then his voice reached the waiting girl prudence isn't it the girl started then a smile broke over her pretty dark face why it's hervey brother hervey here mother she called back into the house quick here's hervey why you dear boy i didn't expect you for at least a week and then i wasn't sure you would come you got my letter safely then and you must have started off almost at once you're really a good brother to come so soon yes in here tea is just ready take off your coat come along mother she called out again joyously hurry come as fast as you can hervey is here and she ran away towards the kitchen her mother's movements were far too slow to suit her the man removed his coat and voices reached him from the direction of the kitchen dearie me but child you do rush one about so where is he there you've left the door open and whose is that hideous brute of a dog why it looks like a timber wolf send him out mrs malling talked far more rapidly than she walked or rather trotted under the force of her daughter's bustling excitement hervey went out into the hall to meet her standing framed in the doorway he saw his dog get out you brute he shouted and stepping quickly up to the animal he launched a cruel kick at it which caught it squarely on the chest the beast turned solemnly away without a sound and hervey closed the door the mother was first to meet him her stout arms were outstretched while her face beamed with pride and her eyes were filled with tears of joy my dear dear boy she exclaimed smiling happily hervey made no reciprocal movement he merely bent his head down to her level and allowed her to kiss his cheek she hugged him forcefully to her ample bosom an embrace from which he quickly released himself 
her words then poured forth in a swift incoherent flow and to think i believed that i should never see you again and how you have grown and filled out just like your father and where have you been all this time and have you kept well look at the tan on his face prudence and the beard too why i should hardly have known you boy if i hadn't a known who it was why you must be inches taller than your father for sure and he was a tall man but you must tell me all about yourself when the folks are all gone to-night we are having a party you know and isn't it nice you will be here for prudence's wedding don't you think we'd better go into the parlour instead of standing out here the girl interrupted practically her mother's rambling remarks had shown no sign of cessation and the tea was waiting hervey must be tired and hungry well i must confess i am utterly worn out the man replied with a laugh yes mother if tea is ready let's come along we can talk during the meal they passed into the parlour as they seated themselves at the table sarah gurridge joined them from her place beside the stove hervey had not noticed her presence when he first entered the room and the good schoolma'am quietly day-dreaming had barely awakened to the fact of his coming now she too joined in the enthusiasm of the moment ah hervey she said with that complacent air of proprietorship which our early preceptors invariably assume you haven't forgotten me i know though the tempest of life will oft shut out the past the thoughts of our school-days remain to the last glad to see you mrs gurridge no i haven't forgotten you the man replied a slight pause followed the women-folk had so much to say that they hardly knew where to begin this trifling hesitation might have been accounted for by this fact or it might have been that hervey was less overjoyed at his home-coming than were his mother and sister prudence was the first to speak funny that i should have set a place more than i intended at the tea-table she said and funnier still that when i found out what i'd done i didn't remove the plate and things and now you turn up she laughed joyously sarah gurridge looked over in the girl's direction and shook an admonitory forefinger at her mr grey my dear you were thinking of mr grey in spite of your lover's tiff who did you say asked hervey with a quick glance at prudence leslie grey said his mother before the old schoolma'am could reply didn't our prudence tell you when she wrote he's the man she's going to marry i must say he's not the man i should have set on for her but she's got her own ploughing to seed and i'm not the one to say her nay when she chooses her man hervey busied himself with his food nor did he look up when he spoke that was grey i suppose i saw riding away as i came up good square set chunk of man yes he left just before you came said prudence but never mind about him brother tell us about yourself have you made a fortune for sure he must said the mother gazing with round proud eyes upon her boy for how else came he to travel from california to here just to set eyes on us and see a slip of a girl take to herself a husband my but it's a great journey for a boy to take nothing to what i've done in my time replied hervey besides mother i've got further to go yet and as for sister prudence's marriage i'm afraid i can't stay for that not stay exclaimed his mother do you mean it asked his sister incredulously sarah gurridge contented herself with looking her dismay you see it's like this said hervey he had an uncomfortable habit of keeping his eyes fixed upon the table only just permitting himself occasional swift upward glances over the other folks heads when i got your letter prudence i was just preparing to come up from los maris to go and see a big fruit grower at niagara 
the truth is that my fruit farm is a failure and i am trying to sell it my poor boy exclaimed his mother and you never told me but there you were always as proud as proud and never would let me help you your poor father was just the same when things went wrong he wouldn't own up to anyone i remember how we lost sixty acres of forty bushel number one wheat with an august frost i never learned it till we'd taken in the finest crop in the district at the next harvesting but you didn't put all your savings into fruit i'm afraid i did mother worse luck all you made up in the yukon goldfields asked prudence alarm in her voice every cent there followed a dead silence then mrs malling could get no further i'm broke dead broke and i'm going east to sell my land to pay off my debts i've had an offer for it and i'm going to clinch the deal quick say i just came along here to see you and i'm going on at once i only got into winnipeg yesterday i rode out without delay but struck the ainsley trail or i should have been here sooner now see here mother hervey went on as a woebegone expression closely verging on tears came into the old dame's eyes it's no use crying over this business what's done is done i'm going to get clear of my farm first and maybe afterwards i'll come here again and we'll talk things over a bit prudence sat staring at her brother but hervey avoided her gaze mrs malling was too heartbroken to speak yet her weather-tanned face had blanched as much as it was possible for it to do her boy had gone out upon the world to seek his fortune and he had succeeded in establishing himself he had written and told her he had found gold in quantities in the yukon valley and now now at last he had failed the shock had for the moment crushed her her boy her proud independent boy as she had been wont to consider him had failed she did not ask herself or him the reason of his failure such failure she felt must be through no fault of his but the result of adverse circumstances she never thought of the gambling table she never thought of reckless living such things would not enter her simple mind and be in any way associated with her boy hepzibah malling loved her son to her he was the king who could do no wrong she continued to gaze blankly in the man's direction sarah gurridge alone of the trio allowed herself sidelong speculative glances at the man's face she had seen the furtive overhead glances the steady avoidance of the loving observation of his womankind she had known hervey as well and perhaps just a shade better than his mother and sister had and long since in his childish school-days she had detected a lurking weakness in an otherwise good character she wondered now if he had lived to outgrow that juvenile trait or had it grown with him gaining strength as the greater passions of manhood developed after the first shock of hervey's announcement had passed mrs malling sought refuge in the consolation of her own ability to help her son he must never know want or suffer the least privation she could and would give him everything he needed besides after all she argued with womanly feeling now perhaps she could persuade him to look after the farm for her to stay by her side he should be in no way dependent she would install him as manager at a comfortable salary the idea pleased her beyond measure and it was with difficulty she could keep herself from at once putting her proposal into words however by a great effort she checked her enthusiasm 
then when do you think of going east she asked with some trepidation you won't go at once sure yes i must go at once hervey replied promptly that is to-morrow morning then you will stay to-night said prudence yes but only to get a good long sleep and rest my horse i am thoroughly worn out i've been in saddle since early this morning have you sent your horse round to the barn asked sarah gurridge well no he's hitched to the fence the observing sarah had been sure of it prudence rose from her seat and called out to the hired girl mary send out and tell andy to take the horse round to the barn he's hitched to the fence then she came back you'll join in our party to-night of course hoity girl of course not said their mother how's the lad going to get rest gallivanting with a lot of clowns who can only talk of bowers and jokers you think of nothing but howdy doin with your neighbours since you're going to get married things were different in my day i'll look after hervey she continued turning to her son you shall have a good night lad or my name's not hepzibah mauling maybe you'll tell me by and by what you'd like to do that's right mother replied hervey with an air of relief you understand what it is for a man to need rest i'll just hang around till the folks come and then sneak off to bed you don't mind prue do you i'm dead beat and i want to leave at daybreak mind answered prudence certainly not hervey i should have liked you to meet mr gray but you must get your rest sure added her mother and as for meeting mr gray well your brother won't sicken for want of seeing him i'll wager come along hervey we'll go to the kitchen prudence has to get her best parlour ready for these chattering noodles and miss turning to her daughter with an expression of pretended severity don't forget that i've got a batch o layer cakes in the ice-box and you've not told me what you want in the way of drinks law young folks never think of comforts i'm sure i don't know what you'll do without your mother girl some of these times your carelessness'll get your parties made a laughing-stock of come along hervey the old lady bustled out bearing her son off in triumph to the kitchen she was quite happy again now her scheme of her son's welfare had shut out all thought of his bad news most women are like this the joy of giving to their own is perhaps the greatest joy in the life of a mother in the hall they met the flying agitated figure of the hired girl mary oh please em there's such a racket going on by the barn there's andy and the two dogs fightin with a great strange three-legged dog what looks like a wolf they're that mussed up that i don't know i'm sure it's that brute nesh of mine said hervey with an imprecation it's all right girl i'll go hervey rushed out to the barn the great three-legged savage was in the midst of a fierce scrimmage the two farm dogs were attacking him they were both half-bred sheep-dogs one was making futile attempts to get hold upon the stranger, and Nesh was shaking the other as a terrier would shake a rat, and Andy the choreman was lambasting the intruder with the business end of a two-tine hay-fork, and shouting frightful curses at him in a strong American accent. As Hervey came upon the scene, Nesh hurled his victim from him, either dead or dying, for the dog lay quite still where it fell upon the snow. Then, impervious to the onslaught of the choreman, he seized the other dog. "'Come out of it, Andy!' cried Hervey. The hired man ceased his efforts at once, glad to be done with the savage. Hervey then ran up to the infuriated husky, and dealt him two or three terrible kicks. 
the dog turned round instantly his fangs were dripping with blood and he snarled fiercely his baleful eyes glowing with ferocity but he slunk off when he recognized his assailant allowing the second dog to run for its life howling with canine fear andy went over to the dog that was stretched upon the snow guess he's done boss he said looking up at hervey as the latter came over to his side say that's about the slickest scrapper round these parts gee whiz e went for me like the tail end o a cyclone when i took your plug to the barn it was they curs that kind o distracted his attention maybe thar's more wolf nor dog in him maybe i says yes he's a devil-tempered husky said hervey i'll have to shoot him one of these days while i do louse that it's a mercy he ain't got no more'n three shanks mackinaw but he's handy the four women had watched the scene from the kitchen door hervey came over to where they were standing i'm sorry mother he said nesh has killed one of your dogs he's a fiend for fighting i've a good mind to shoot him now no don't go for to do that said his mother we oughtn't to have sent andy to take your horse i expect the beast thought he was doing right he's a brute curse him prudence said nothing now she moved a little away from the house and talked to the dog he was placidly and with no show of penitence lying down and licking a laceration on one of his front legs he occasionally shook his great head and stained the snow with the blood which dripped from his fierce-looking ears he paused in his operation at the sound of the girl's voice and looked up her tone was gentle and caressing hervey suddenly called to her don't go near him he's as treacherous as a doggone indian come back called out her mother the girl paid no attention she called again and patted her blue apron encouragingly the animal rose slowly to his feet looking dubiously in her direction then without any display of enthusiasm came slowly towards her his limp added to his wicked aspect but he came nor did he stop until his head was resting against her dress and her hand was caressing his great back the huge creature seemed to appreciate the girl's attitude for he made no attempt to move away it is probable that this was the first caress the dog had ever known in all his savage life hervey looked on and scratched his beard thoughtfully but he said nothing more mrs malling went back to the kitchen sarah gurridge alone had anything to say poor creature she observed in tones of deep pity i wonder how he lost his foot is he always fighting a poor companion i should say hervey laughed unpleasantly oh he's not so bad he's savage and all that but he's a good friend ah and a deadly enemy i suppose he's very fond of you he lets you kick him she added significantly i hardly know and i must say i don't much care what his feelings are towards me yes he lets me kick him then after a pause but i think he really hates me and hervey turned abruptly and went back into the kitchen he preferred the more pleasant atmosphere of his mother's adulation to the serious reflections of sarah gurridge chapter five